Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Praise God. In your Bibles this evening, we're going to kind of bring to a conclusion some of the teaching we've been teaching on faith, and then I'm going to use my time uh, in between now and fall harvest to really teach both Sundays, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights on receiving from God. Because I believe, God, many of you are going to receive from God during fall harvest this year. Uh, Not that you can't receive any other time, uh, but times like that afford you opportunities, a targeted opportunity. You say, now what do you mean by a targeted opportunity? That's exactly what the woman with the issue of blood took advantage of. She took advantage of a targeted opportunity. She said, when I touch but his garment, I shall be whole. Uh, Blind Bartimaeus took advantage of a targeted opportunity. When Jesus was leaving Jericho, he could hear the crowd. He heard what was going on. That's when he cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So many of you, I want to try and get you into faith to the point uh, that at that point you can receive from God whatever you're believing God for because we're going to have men here that flow in the Holy Ghost, that flow in the gifts of the Spirit, that you can put a demand upon their ministries and receive from them. Now, we've been studying the subject of faith. Uh, This past few days I've been studying some things and looking at some things in the Word, listening to some teaching on my my, uh, uh, CD player. Uh, One thing that we're going to have to understand in the Word of God is the uniqueness of the experience that we're enjoying here at Island Church. Uh, I heard a particular minister teaching. uh, He said he was in Los Angeles, been a few years back. And uh, Los Angeles, on the front page of the, I think it's the Times, the Los Angeles Times, uh, there was a picture uh, of a man getting uh, off an airplane, arriving at the L.A. International Airport, and there was great fanfare. And this man was a theologian, a very well-known theologian. And uh, they were celebrating his arrival into Los Angeles and his subsequent teaching in two of the large seminaries in the Los Angeles area. Uh, This man had had, I think they said, an 18-year education, had like 15 letters on the end of his name, you know, one of those kind of guys. And so this particular minister, uh, 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 it was about a week later, he was still in the area preaching, Uh, they took and printed on the back page of the first section of the L.A. Times, L.A. Times, a classroom uh, seminar or lecture uh, that this man had given in a, in a seminary there in Los Angeles. So he said he read through this thing. He read through it, and he said this man who had all this education, this man who had all these letters at the end of his name, he said this man who should have, you know, understood uh, all things in the Word of God, he said this man made this statement. He said, now the Gospels... That, that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and the letters to the church are in direct opposition to one another. That's what he said. He said, now, there are things that the Apostle Paul says uh, that we uh, don't know whether to believe or not because they directly refute things that the Lord Jesus Christ says. He brought up a couple of things. And, and so this particular minister that was reading this looked at it and thought to himself, he said, this guy hadn't got a clue. First of all, number one, that Jesus did not come to the world. He came to die for the world, but he came to the lost sheep of the nation of Israel. And he was ministering under the Jewish covenant of the law. And because of that, he did not come to do away with, but to fulfill the law and then to become the promised Messiah that God had promised, not just the Jewish people, but the entire world. 
For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Now, the relevance to doctrine that we enjoy today finds its bedrock foundation not in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but in the epistles that, that, that Paul wrote to the church. That is literally the New Testament. Amen? You say, what do you mean? There are scriptures all through the, the, uh, uh, the, the, um, the gospels that we do not adhere to. Got quiet in here. You say, what do you mean? Well, one of them, you know, Jesus had to teach the disciples to pray in his name. But that was not till after he rose from the dead. He said, in that day, you shall ask me nothing. What day is he talking about? The day in which we live in. He said, in that day, you shall ask me nothing. But whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, that he, that's what he's going to do. He began to give us all kinds of instruction that stepped across the dispensational line of Old and New Testament so that we would understand by some of his teaching what Paul was going to teach us through the Word of God. And in reality, if you rightly divide the Word of God, the, the, the Gospels and the letters to the church do not refute one another. They dovetail perfectly. Perfectly. So, this particular minister that was reading that, 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 that L.A. Times, he said this. He said, remember what, 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 what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing. We must understand there is a right division of the Word of God. The right division of the Word. You say, what do you mean right division? Think of cooking something. You know, I was reading a recipe the other day uh, in Ducks Unlimited magazine called My Favorite Duck Recipe. And so I, I, I was reading, because I'm going to cook one of those. I, I thought it was a pretty neat recipe. And so I noticed, you know, first of all, he wrote about uh, where he first experienced and all this kind of stuff. Then he gave the ingredients and he gave the detailed amounts. A cup of this, a, a teaspoon of that, a tablespoon of this. A pinch of that, a dash of this. He gave us detailed ingredient, detailed amounts of the ingredient. You say, why? Because you can't just come and dump all those ingredients in a bowl and mix it all together and expect to come out with a, with a, with a, with a product that's going to taste good. Every cake that we eat, every brownie that we cook, every casserole that we cook, everything we eat is what? It's, quote, rightly divided. You understand what I'm saying? The right amounts of spices. The right Now, the Word of God is the same way. There must be a right division of the Word of God. The amounts of the Word of God. The amounts, remember what we say about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not written to you. It's written for you. The letters to the church are written to you. A lot of people go back in the Old Testament and try to make doctrine out of the Old Testament. You can't do it. They talk about feast days. I always notice when the, when the, when the ministries are, uh, the television ministries are raising money. It's always funny to me how some preacher comes up there and talks about how we're in this certain feast and how you can only give your offering on this particular day. Have you ever watched one of those programs and thought, what do you mean only give that offering? And you can only give, you know, $7.77 on the seventh day of the seventh month and the seventh hour of the seventh minute. And you think, what in the world are they talking about? Well, they're, they're, they're reaching back into an old covenant trying to get something to, I guess, try to sensationalize what they're doing to motivate giving. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Right division of the Word of God is not based on how many hours of seminary you have. It's not based on, you know, uh, how much you've, uh, uh, you know, adhered to all of these courses. No, right division of the Word of God is only done by one person. His name is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is the teacher on the inside of us, and He is the one that helps us to rightly divide the Word of God. Remember the story of the guy that used to open the Bible, close his eyes and point? And that would be a scripture for the day. 
And you know, one day he opened it up and he pointed and he looked down at the scripture and said, Judas went out and hung himself. So he said, oh man, I better not, you know, I better get something else. So he, so he flipped around and let it fall open again. I pointed again and looked down and said, go ye and do likewise. <laughs> well, that's not right division of the word of God, Amen. No, rightly dividing the Word of God means that you've taken time to pray, to study, to go through the Word of God and allow the Word of God to take this amount of this ingredient, this amount of this ingredient, this amount of this ingredient, this amount of this ingredient and produce a product. You say, what do you mean by a product? A doctrine that we adhere to. Things that we just kind of take for granted. Number one, salvation. Listen, there isn't any other way to get saved than what the Bible says. The Bible says you're going to have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead and so doing you'll be saved. You can't have, you can't be good enough. You can't have enough letters connected to your name. You can't be pious enough. There's no other way. There's no other name given among men by where we must be saved. There's no way you're going to change that. Amen. The same thing's true of faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please him. For those that come to him must believe that he is that he is uh, that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You must understand that the doctrine of faith unlocks the provision of God and helps bring that which is the that which is in the spirit into the natural realm or the material realm so that we might enjoy the benefit of it. How many are saved? Are you enjoying the benefit of it? So something's coming to the material that is helping you. Amen. So now kind of a preview of coming attractions. How many believe God that he has saved you and forgiven you? We talk about mercy. The last time I was here on a Sunday, I preached about mercy. I'm going to expound on that a, a, a whole lot later, especially when it comes to healing. Because you must understand that it's as willing as God is to forgive you, he's also willing to heal you. But the problem is, men and women like us, we have faith in His power, but not faith in His willingness. Amen? So for everything that God gives us, for everything that He's done through, for us through redemption, I don't think anybody in here could question His power to do it. But where our real question is, in our hearts and minds, is, is He willing to do it? That's where faith comes in. Faith erases the doubt when it comes to the subject of willingness. That's why religion and denomination fights it so hard. Because they believe God can heal, but whether he's going to heal or not, that's based on his sovereign will, and nobody can violate his sovereign will. Uh, we know God could prosper. He could snap his fingers and make anybody he wanted to a multimillionaire, but whether he wants to do it or not is based upon his, quote, sovereign will. But his sovereign will is set aside by the revelation of his sovereign will through the word of God. And the sovereign will revealed through the word of God reveals a willingness of God, a God of grace, mercy, and compassion that is willing to do anything anybody can believe him for. Healing, prosperity, blessing, your marriage put back together, whatever you believe in God for, God is willing to do it if you're willing to believe him. That's the key right there. Now, here in Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Before I get off my subject and get on something else. Look here in Hebrews chapter 12. I said 11, I meant 12. It says in verse 1, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. 
Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, everybody say Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now that's an interesting term. Keep that in your mind. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now notice this. It says that Jesus is the author and the finisher. I like what one translation says. It says it is Jesus who gives you the incentive to believe, and he is also the one that will cause what he has empowered you to believe to come to pass. Amen? Now, most people, I hope that most of you, if I were to sit down with you and talk to you about your, quote, dreams of faith, things that you would say, you know, I'm believing God. I may not have all the faith I need to get it right now, but I'm believing God for the faith for it. I'm believing God. I'm believing God. I've got my faith out there. I'm working on getting more faith. It comes by the Word of God. I'm working on confessing that word. I'm working on acting on. I would hope that everyone that I would sit down and talk to would come up with something beyond your imagination and beyond the scope of your ability to provide it for yourself, something you would absolutely have to have God to do or else it just ain't going to happen. Amen? Now, I've lived like that for 30 years, that everything in my life that I have, everything that I own, everything that I possess, Everything I'm doing, everything that I'm going to do is totally impossible for me to produce myself. There's no way I can do it. No way I can do it. No way I can raise it up. No way I can maintain it. No way I can increase it. No way I can cause it to do any. Nothing I can do. There's nothing of my hand upon it. It's God. I said it's God. So you want to see a manifestation of God? Look around you. Everything from the chairs to the carpet to the ceiling to the parking lot, you name it, it's all Jesus. It's all God, and it's all gotten here by faith. Amen. Amen? Now, if you understand that, then you must understand Jesus delights in authoring things in you bigger than you are, greater than your own conception and ability to dream it. He likes to author things on the inside of you that without him, there's, you, you wouldn't even consider it. I like to say it like this, where if somebody in the world system sat down and talked to you and you were to share your dream or your vision that faith has produced, they'd think you was crazy. They'd think you were absolutely crazy. I mean, don't even use your own. You, you use the church dream if you want. You know, tell them, yeah, I'll go to Island Church. We, you met down, that, that old girl over there used to be on 69. That's where we meet, you know. And, and so, you know, there's a, uh, we gather there and there's, oh, there's a few hundred of us that come on Sunday and we're believing God, you know, for, for oh, a million and a half dollars worth of land and about five million dollars worth of building. We're believing God to pay cash for it. We're believing God to reach the world, reach the island, reach doing all this. And they look at you like, you are out of your mind. Are you out of your mind? Amen. But see, the thing is, they don't know the history. They don't know the heritage of the 12 years or 13 years we've already been doing this. Of how as impossible as that may seem, it was just as impossible to hold that first service at the Galvez Hotel back in 2002. 
And just as impossible to hold the second service and the third service and to produce the building on 45th Street and then to get into this building and then to get into the next building. I'm telling you, you have to understand that we are in a procession, a procession of the glory of God. We're on a path of righteousness corporately where without God, there ain't nothing going to happen. Ain't nothing going to happen. But with God, things beyond our own imagination because he authors, then he does exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. Now, the problem that happens with a lot of people is Jesus authors something in them, and then they take off and try to finish it. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus, divine Savior and Lord, and the divine source of faith, because He is the Word, was the Word, and forever will be the Word, if He authors something in your human spirit as divine God, how in the world do you think you're going to bring it to pass? Amen. Now, I've seen people do it. I mean, they've got, as soon as God puts something in them, they take, I go to work. You say, aren't you, in, aren't you going to work? No, I'm in faith. You say, what's the difference between work and faith? Work means I'm going to go out there and try to make it happen. Faith means I'm going to trust God and let it happen. I could have already done things as a church according to our financial income, according to the amount of people that we have, according to our history in the community, I could have already done things that could have produced a building on a piece of land. We'd be in debt. We'd be paying probably a, a seventeen dollars to $23,000 a month note. How many would like to do that? I won't. I don't. I'd rather give that to missions. Amen. But we haven't done it that way. We haven't tried to finish what Jesus has authored. You say, why? If he's the author, let him be the finisher. Now, notice the scripture. The previous verse says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Those are those people up in heaven that's already gone through this. That's already believed God for Isaac. That's already believed God for a nation. That already believed God to kill a giant. That already believed God. Already believed God that the walls of Jericho were going to fall. That already believed. That already believed God uh, that they could uh, defeat the Philistines. Come on, church. They already believed. They already used their faith. They didn't go into unbelief. So they stand as what? As witnesses or evidence producers. Those that are gone before us in the Word and in the Scripture. They're saying, "Go for it. It works. It worked for me. It'll work for you." He's authored it in you. He'll finish it. So God says, "Lay aside number one every weight." Everybody say weight. Well, weight is things that weight you down. Anything that weights you down in this race. You say, what do you mean? It could be anything. Anything that distracts you. I, I heard this pastor tell a uh, testimony. He's on his way to his church. <coughs> Pastor's a good size uh, church over in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was on his way to church. He loves mustard whoppers. How many know what a mustard whopper is? That's one of those whoppers they just put mustard, nothing else. And they put this big. And so he said, he had this, this, he said, he just bought this new tie. And he said, he's on his way. He had a staff meeting. And so he went through Burger King, got this mustard whopper. And he says, he's racing down the freeway, trying to get to his church to this staff meeting. He bites in this mustard whopper, and a big old blob of mustard falls on this new tie. So he's looking for napkins. He's looking. And he says, while he's doing this, he hears this, this horn. This big old 18-wheeler horn. And he looks up, and he's in the other lane. 
And he said, man, he whipped the wheel. When he whipped the wheel, he said, I spun out. He said, I did a 360 and hit it up over there. He said, my heart was pounding. He said, all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said, in and of itself, that glob of mustard has no power to kill you. But he said, in its present position of where it is, it caused such a distraction that it could have caused you to kill yourself. And the Lord spoke to him and said, now there are globs of mustard in your life. That's what he told this pastor. He said, there are globs of mustard in your life that in, its, in, that they're in themselves they have no power to destroy you. But if you spend your time dealing with those globs of mustard on your so-called tie, you're going to end up spinning out on the highway of life and missing what I have for you. Maybe one thing for one person, another for somebody else. But if it's a weight, you know what it is. What distracts you from the things of God? What causes your focus to go over to the world, the world system? Maybe some sin, maybe some weakness. What causes that? What's that one little thing you may be playing with? Playing with? It may not be some, some you know, heavy sin, but it may be, quote, a glob of mustard on your tie that may distract you while some 18-wheeler trap of the devil is coming right at you and God wants you focused on staying out of its way. I'll leave that with you. Lay aside every weight. So every one of them. But now notice this. And the sin. So I noticed that the there. So I looked in several translations. It's always the. And there's never any other real expression in the, in the different translations that I looked at that made it a, a generalization. So it's speaking of something specific. So I went back and did a study and looked at what the sin is. The sin is not bank robbery. The sin is not smoking weed. The sin is not drinking. The sin is the sin of unbelief. Now, first of all, you have to believe before you can get into unbelief. People say, we need to reach all the unbelievers. No, we've already reached the unbelievers. We just need to get the un off of their name. People that don't know, that haven't heard, they're not unbelievers, they're just heathens. They're just lost. Amen? But see, the enemy is working overtime to try to get you to unbelieve what Jesus has authored. See, faith will cause you to enter into a rest. Aren't you anxious, Pastor? Aren't you worried? Going into this big project, well, we've been going into it for three years. What do you mean? Aren't you worried? What about? I have nothing to worry about. I have nothing to be. I've rolled the care of it on the Lord. Amen. I'm not going to allow the adversary to take what Jesus has authored and to put an unto that and get me into unbelief to the place where I'm not able to enter into that which he has promised. That's exactly what happened to the children of Israel, that first group that came out, came out of Egypt. It's called the day of provocation when the, ten, when the 12 spies were sent out and 10 came back with, the Bible, with what the Bible calls an evil report. And their evil report swayed the entire church. And two and a half million of them died in the wilderness because of an unbelief that got into them 
through the evil report of ten spies. Well, they took those ten spies out and executed them. But the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, that had a good report, outlived them all. They weathered the 40 years, and then they went in and possessed the promised land. They did not allow what God had authored in them to be tainted by the unbelief of others. Now, when God gives you a promise, when faith comes to your heart, the adversary goes to work immediately trying to get you into unbelief. I'm telling you, come up here and have hands laid on you for healing. You turn around and you walk back and sit down in your chair and you say, bless God, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I was healed 2,000 years ago. Today, I received it in the name of Jesus. Now, your body starts telling you. You say, no, I'm not believing my body. No, I'm not believing what the doctor said. No, you say, now, come on. It's just good common sense to believe what the doctor says. You do not have to if you choose not to. You do not have to go into unbelief because of what your body tells you, the doctor tells you, or anything else tells you. You can make a decision to stand in faith and rejoice in your healing. Rejoice in your prosperity. Rejoice in your deliverance, no matter what your body, your mind, or anything else is telling you. Nothing can force you into unbelief. You have to choose to go there. And so those attacks of the enemy, and and they always happen where? In your mind. That's where the battlefield is. In your mind. Here he comes. That's where the fight takes place. It doesn't work. The word doesn't work. That stuff is all crazy. They're just trying to get your money. They're just trying to control you. They're trying to, and it's amazing the repertoire of idiotic statements the enemy can run through your mind that if you really took a moment and thought about it, you'd say, that's crazy. Trying to control me. Don't even know my name. I mean, I do my I do good to remember the name of my staff and my family. Amen. I mean, you know, control and wanting people's all those quote unbelief cliches that people use. You know, tithing is done away with the old covenant. Healing's not for today. The faith message is for some other time. That, oh, that's crazy. That's why you've got to kind of insulate yourself from the words of other people. Uh, from uh, and you know, I just I, I kind of I don't know. I, you kind of got to be careful what you watch on Christian television. Hey, Amen. I'm watching some guy the other day. I mean, you could either get the green cloth. That was for money. And the red cloth was for healing. And then there was some other blue cloth for something. Or if that didn't work, you could get the miracle mineral water. And if that didn't work, you could get the miracle anointing oil. And then at the end of the show, he's getting up there begging for money, begging for money. I thought, why don't you use that green cloth? Amen. Pour a little miracle oil on it, a little, a little miracle water on it, and use that. You want me to? It's not working for you? Isn't that the truth, though? You got to be careful what books you read. Listen, don't let the devil talk you out of what God's talked you into. He is the author. If I say the author and the finisher. Now, let me close with this. Let's talk about, just, just, just for the sake of what we're teaching on tonight, the object of your faith. Everybody say the object. See, people get the object and the result of faith mixed up. 
Now, the object of your faith isn't the desire of, of, of what you need. You say, well, the object of my faith, I need healing. The object of my faith is, no, no. The object of your faith is Jesus. Everything faith produces ought to draw you closer and closer and closer to Jesus. I dare say I'm closer to him than I've ever been in my life. You say, what do you mean by that? Because I'm believing God for more I've ever believed for. I've got to be closer than I've ever been. If your dreams today are bigger than your dreams were yesterday and you're not closer to God today than you were yesterday, then you're in trouble. I said, you're in trouble. You have to be close to Jesus. He is the object of your faith. Everything that you believe God for that faith produces should not draw your attention away from him. It ought to draw you to him. It ought to endear you more and more to Jesus. The result of your faith is what faith produces. The object of your faith is Jesus himself. He is the author. He is the finisher. At the end of the day, you ought to be able to point around everything in your life and go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He authored it. He finished it. Thank God. See, a lot of people get that mixed up. And so they're easily, they're kind of like the nine lepers. They went and did as Jesus said, but they were more impressed with what Jesus did than they were with who he was. But one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice fell down at his feet and glorified God. Now, Jesus said, where are the nine? So obviously Jesus was standing and observing the behavior of all ten, believing that all of them would not go the religious route, but turn and come back the relationship way. I got three minutes, maybe I can do it. You say, what do you mean by that? He's under the law. He's ministering supernaturally the covenant of Abraham. Actually, there's, uh, I think, three covenants he's ministering. He's ministering under the Abrahamic covenant. He's ministering under the Mosaic covenant. And he's ministering under uh, David's covenant. I don't have time to teach you on that. Trust me, I can come back and teach you on that if you need to. But there are three covenants Jesus is operating on. All of them uh, confined in what we call the Old Testament. So, under the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic law, if you were a leper and you were cleansed and healed, you were supposed to go show yourself to the priest. And they made a determination of whether you were healed or not. There was, so you can go read about it in Leviticus. So they're on their way. Well, see, that's still religion. That's still law. That's still legalism. But see, what had healed them was not the law. You say, what do you mean? What had healed them is what heals you and I. Jesus. So he sent them the religious way, because it was his obligation. But their obligation was to desire a relationship with the one that healed them. So one, when he saw he was cleansed and healed, said, I really don't need religion. What I need is a relationship with this guy that said, go show yourself to the priest. Because he caused the connection to be closed, the circuit to be made, so that healing power could touch my body and I see that I'm cleansed and healed. I got to know something about this guy right here. I want to know something about him and he's the one that was made whole. He's the one in whom the scars were removed, the fingers were put back on. He's the one you could tell, you couldn't tell 
ever used to be a leper because Jesus made him whole. The same thing is true about us. Don't ever be more impressed with what God does than you are impressed with God himself. Because if you can keep that perspective right, what God can do for you will be unlimited. But if you ever get more impressed with what you receive or what God does, and I don't think it can happen, it happens all the time. There's people that believe God for something, and when they get it, what they believe God for becomes their God. I've seen marriages, I've seen businesses, I've seen all kinds of stuff where people, they learned about faith. They had. You say, then why would God give it to them? Because he's faithful to his word. You walk by faith, he's faithful. There was a particular thing I was believing God for a long time ago, and I had my faith out there, and I was believing in God. I was confessing it every day, standing on the word of God, and the Lord spoke to me and said, if you do not back off, you're going to get what you're believing God for. And I said, what? And he said, if you do not back off, if you do not quit, you're going to get what you're believing God for. But the problem with it is, it's not my will for your life. If you persist, you will get it. But it will not be my will for your life. And it will cost you years of serving me. And I dropped it like a hot rock. I no longer confessed it. I no longer believed it. I turned and I walked away from it. And God gave me something ten times greater. You say, how can that be? That's exactly how he does it. Faith works. The principles work. You can believe God for something. But what you believe God for can become a God to you. You say, Lord, I'm believing you for my business. Oh, my business. Oh. And so, you know, your business is small and, and you're tithing and you're, you're giving a little money. and you're Oh, and then it grows a little, a little more. And then all of a sudden some big miracle happens and your business explodes. Now you don't, got, you don't have time for church. You don't have time to pray. You don't have the time to read your Bible. You don't have the time to witness because you're so busy with what God has blessed you with. And what you've believed God for becomes a God to you. No, you've lost your perspective on the object of your faith. Looking unto Jesus. As long as you keep your eyes on Him, you won't sink. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and thank God this evening. Father, we worship you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you that the entrance of your word, Lord, that it gives us light and life. And Father, tonight, let these simple words, Lord, let them go down to our spirit so that the dream that you have authored in all of our hearts personally and the dream that you've authored in us as a corporate body will be the reality of who you are in us and that everything that we possess by faith does not become our God, but you remain in your rightful place, seated on the throne of our heart, with Jesus seated at the right hand. We thank you for it, Father. Lord, as we leave tonight, we thank you for your great provision of protection and safety. Thank you for Psalms 91, that no evil shall befall us, no evil of the, the, the diseases of the season, no evil of the, of the terror of the times, uh, Lord, we thank you that as we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, the railways, we're protected and safe. As we work in our chosen professions, the righteous labor of our hands are blessed by you, Father, so that no trauma, no terror, no accidents of any kind happen to us, but we work peaceably. Thank you, Lord, for a great door of utterance as we go out into our communities. Let us be an answer to somebody's prayer. Let us be a blessing to people, a problem to the adversary, a miracle in somebody's life. Lord, as we leave tonight,
We thank you that you love us, that you care about us, for your compassion and tender mercy toward us, for your grace that flows abundantly toward us. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, tonight we thank you for each other. We walk in love toward each other, thanking you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be, thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Ghost. God bless you, and we'll see you on the weekend. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.